0: Hey guys, Reed Gusenzi here. Now before we dive into today's show, I quickly want to tell you about some exciting things happening in 2018. Now in a few months time, I will be launching my brand spanking new book, appropriately titled, Investing in the US, The Ultimate Guide to US Real Estate. And it is all the best bits from this show transformed into a book. Now. As you are all loyal listeners on this show, we are doing a pre-launch book giveaway. So, what you have to do in order to participate in this pre-launch book giveaway is just shoot me an email. It's pretty simple. At info, that's I-N-F-O at readgoosens.com. And in the subject line, you can put the words Kraken book. And in return, I will shoot you back a link where you can go and pre-order your copy of my new book. Now, remember, in that link, there will be an area where you can put the code Kraken, C-R-A-C-K-I-N, and that will enable you to get a discount. I wanna thank you all for tuning in. The reason why I do this show is because of my loyal listeners, and this is a way of me giving back to you guys by helping you, you can pre-order the book and get it for free before we launch in
1: a couple of months' time. All right, now back into the show. You know, I I wish I would have gotten into it, you know, a couple of years ago, because I've always heard that you have tax advantages and tax strategies and stuff like that with real estate. But I never really realized to the extent that you could actually be benefited from it.
0: Welcome to Investing in the U.S., an Aussie's guide to U.S. real estate, a podcast for international investors and real estate entrepreneurs looking to break into the U.S. market. Today on the show, I have the pleasure of speaking with Dan Hanford. Dan is the principal at Hanford Capital with his wife, Danae. This year, they've closed on three properties valued over $67 million and over 800 units as co-syndicators. Dan, Dan is a founder of the, and the current president of five specialty medical clinics located throughout Southern Carolina. He is a trusted advisor to hundreds of physicians across the country looking to expand their clinics into multiple locations and helps them strategize effective marketing. Plans to reach their target markets. Dan is also an angel investor supporting numerous young entrepreneurs through local accelerator and incubator programs. And to top it all off, Dan and his wife have just started the new podcast called Tough Decisions for Entrepreneurs, which you can find on iTunes today. I'm really pumped and excited to have him on the show to share his incredible experience and knowledge. But enough out of me, let's get him out here. G'day, Dan. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today, mate?
1: Doing great. I really do appreciate you inviting me on and having me on the podcast. Really looking forward to the- the interview today,
0: mate. I am pretty pumped when you reached out as well. I, uh, we're just talking a little bit in the green room about your background, and we're going to get into that in a minute. But before we do, do you want to tell us how you made your first ever dollar as a kid?
1: Sure. Well, you know, I've always I always tell people that you know I've, I've you know they say when did you start you know you know as an entrepreneur, and I've pretty much been an entrepreneur ever since I was been I was born. You know, you know I, I don't remember this, but I've been told by my parents that. You know, when I was born, I was actually negotiating with the physician who who, who <laughs> was in the delivery room on which cheek he was going to slap, you know, to make sure I was awake, you know. Um, but, uh, you know, I would say that, you know, there's I have m- tons of different things that I used to do when I was growing up, you know, where it would be mowing lawns or I remember, you know, when I was in my high school years selling Cutco you know, one of the, even, even doing pressure cleaning for, you know, gas stations and their concrete wow. and doing siding on houses and various things like that. And I would say my very first would be, you know, selling, you know, just candy door to door, you know, sure. um, for, for various, you know, events or programs that our, our church or, or whatever our school was, was doing. So um, that would probably be some of the earliest dollars that I made, but my, my true money that I first made was probably, Um, mowing lawns, you know, just going door to door, finding local neighborhood, neighbor, neighborhood, neighbors in our neighborhood to actually, you know, mow lawns, various things like that. And then, of course, the pressure cleaning thing was the was another big hit, too. So we did we had a couple of contracts with the local gas stations to come in every quarter and, you know, do their do their um, their pressure cleaning of their sidewalks and stuff.
0: That's awesome. Did you like? How old were you when you had that, that pressure cleaning business? Was it just you, you went out and bought a pressure cleaner with your dad, or, or with some mates? How, how did it work?
1: No. So this and this was a big time pressure cleaning. You know, like like not that wasn't a, a large company but it was a it was one other guy that was a banker and he started the company and then brought me on as a partner because he didn't want to do it anymore and so he basically <laughs> he had this huge equipment he had probably I don't know like a 250 gallon water tank on it it had a huge gas heater on it and so we would, have, we would pressure clean with like you know real high-powered hot water you know Right. And so it was it was a it was a fourteen foot trailer. I had to buy buy a truck to be able to do it. And so I was I was in my late teens, probably you know sixteen, seventeen, when I started doing the pressure cleaning side of things. But um, you know with the with the other ones, you know I was I can't remember. I mean I I I, I my mom and dad used to own a business too, so right. they I did some work with them and various things like that.
0: Awesome, man. Well, like, I always like to ask that question because it really sets the stage for the type of person you, an entrepreneur, you ultimately end up growing into, right? Like understanding the value of a dollar. And it sounds like you did some pretty wet and messy cleaning to get that dollar right. Yeah, and It's, a, and, 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 and it's kind pressure. of
1: funny because if you look at my forearms, you know, I used to get up on ladders and I would uh-huh. have to hang on one ladder and kind of, you know, move my arm back and forth with one wand with that powerful, you know, pressure cleaner. Yep. And I'd be hanging on with one arm and like pressure cleaning with the other. The <laughs> one. My, my one I used to, to, to pressure clean with, my forearm would always be bigger than the other one. So it was always kind of funny to <laughs> kind of see that. It was like, man, like bigger forearms on one side versus the other. But and then it hit me. I'm like, yeah, because I'm standing on the ladder with that, you know, 2,500 PSI pressure going against it.
0: Sure, sure. Well, mate, now walk us through your journey, where you've got to today. We I did mention in the, in the introduction that you're a physician. So where did you go to school? And then how did you get into being, you know, continuing the entrepreneurial journey sure. Uh, and tell us a little bit about what you're up to today.
1: Yeah. So um, when I went to chiropractic college, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a chiropractic physician. And so when I went to chiropractic college, one of the things that we always needed to, or every chiropractor needs is a spine model to be able to learn the spine in order to, you know, you know train. And so you in our bookstore, we used to have them and they were, they, they still sell them today. And it was $185 for this spine model. And so I remember that today. It's still $185 probably today. might even be more than that now. Who knows? But I would, you know, go to the, I had a lot of my friends that would go to the bookstore and and see how much it costs. I heard heard them complaining. And so I decided, you know, you know, my background prior to that, you know, going into chiropractic, I had had some experience doing web design, web hosting, networking, those kind of things. And so I decided that I was going to go source this product, you know, and try to figure out who I could buy it from and see if I can get a discount, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I found the exact same spine model online and I bought that. I found, I called the the manufacturer first. I called one of their distributors up first and asked them, you know, would you be able to sell me this spine? And if so, what kind of a discount could I get for it if I could buy 20 of them? You know, I think I could at least get 20 students to to buy a spine from me. And they said, we can sell it to you for $65. And I said, awesome. I said, I'll take it. And so I was like, I'm going to sell it for 70. And I was like, well, I can't sell it for 70. Let's make it sound a little better than that. So I sold it for $69.95. And so I didn't want to have any like IOUs or anything like that. And so I made sure that I got money up front and in hand ahead of time. So I, I created a form and they can go on PayPal and pay me or write me a check or money order cash or however it was. And in, chiro- in this chiropractic college, which is in Atlanta, Georgia called Life University, um, there's, it's, it's the world's largest chiropractic college. And so every three months we have a new set of students that come through. And so there's over 100, 120 students that start every three months. So what we decided, what I decided to do was, is go through every class, you know, there's like 13 quarters. So I went through every, stood in front of every classroom and just did my little pitch in front of the room and just said, Hey, I got the spine model. You don't have to pay 185. It's the exact same one. I'll give it to you for 70. I'll get you free shipping, you know, or 69.95. I pass all the forms, you know, all of a sudden the money started coming in, the order started coming in. By the end of that week, we had 80 orders in hand. So me, I'm sitting here going man, I wonder if I can find the manufacturer of this thing. And so that's what I did is is I I cut out the middleman, found the manufacturer, got it for $42.48, and it also opened me up to be able to sell all of their other products. And so even today, um, we have a company called Shop Anatomical where we sell skeletons and skulls and brains and hearts and ears and eyes and nose and, you know, the whole torso models. And we sell to colleges and universities and labs all across the United States and some across the world. We've sold to some of the Nigerian government and various things like that. Um, which is a story in and of itself when you start working with the Nigerian government. Always worried about fraud there, but you know, it still to this day does seven figures a year and it's wow. been passive for the last probably seven or eight years.
0: That's fantastic. And that's all through, you went to Life University. Right?
1: Yes, I did. I went Good. through Life and so I started that one. And then I started another company while I was in, in chiropractic school too, where we were selling portable chiropractic tables. And you wouldn't think there's a big market for that. But there is, you know, we sell 30 to 50 tables a month still to this day wow. um, across the entire country. And it was basically from that same thing as, as I found um, a problem where the students didn't want to pay that kind of a price for the tables. And so I sourced the product myself and got, I was able to give it to them for a better price and solve their problem. And they continue to, to continue to order from me. And uh, so it just kind of expanded from there.
0: And then so you really creating two online e-commerce stores, right? That's essentially what you've created. Over the last what 10, yeah. 15 years?
1: Yeah, I've had them now for about going on eleven years now. So I started it back in two thousand and seven, and you know the biggest thing was is I, I hustled, man. I mean, when I was in when I was in school, in between classes, I I, I first started selling it on eBay, like because the, they they allowed me to the manufacturer allowed me to sell all their products, mm-hmm. and so and I got the highest tier discount because I was selling so much. And so I put up, put up a few products on eBay, started selling them, started doing ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars a month, and then start. I was like, you know, I'm gonna go ahead and create a website and throw some Google AdWords on that thing and see if it can get some 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 traction going. And you know, now 65 percent of our sales come from just organic search engine optimization that we have to have in place. Um, we consistently do you know over a hundred thousand dollars a month in sales off of that off that company. And now, I mean, I for like I said for the last six or seven, seven years, I have been completely passive. You know, I still look at the numbers, still get reports, things like that. But you know, for the most part, I mean, I I barely I barely spend any more than probably about two or three hours a month on those on that business.
0: That's fantastic, and that's exactly how you want to get your business to work, right? Absolutely. <laughs> in, that sort of, in a sort of in those sort of online um, marketplaces, how much of that success to those little businesses was related to Life University, knowing that you went in, you had a marketplace to go sell to?
1: Well, I would say that you know a lot of entrepreneurs, myself included, we we I, I've come up with you know ideas and products before that you know didn't sell, and it was because I was trying to create a product for an audience that wasn't there or for an audience that didn't have that. Product problem. And so what I had done in this instance is I actually found, had already found an audience and they were telling me what their problem was and I was able to solve their problem. And that's really what I, where I started with it. But, you know, I would say right now, I mean, my, my, my business is very minimal when it comes to spine models. It's probably like five to seven percent of what our overall sales are. But that that one idea opened me up to be able to create and sell and do, do even more than where I was
0: right and you also give you the confidence right to go out and Source product. Figure out the manufacturing. Figure out like, how much money do I have to, capital I have to put into it mm-hmm. in order to get a return. So I think just the the life lessons it's probably taught you is just ridiculous. Well, right? and,
1: and at the same time, you know, a, a lot of the students that were graduating with me, you know, as we were finishing up the program four years later, you know, they were getting they were going into debt to get more loans and things like that to be able to start their own practices. Either they had to go work for somebody else, and I knew I didn't want to do that. And so we were actually able to start our 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 first practice with no debt, you know, because that business helped fund the startup of that business. And even to this day, our practices have no debt. Um, and wow. so and it's been all just you know taking the money that we've made in the businesses and kind of funneling it back into the business and then now it, even the even the five practices that I have now because it started out as chiropractic and then we morphed them mm-hmm. into medical and we're in a very specially medical niche called non-surgical orthopedics where we do a lot of regenerative medicine prolotherapy platelet-rich plasma therapy that prp stem cell therapy those kind of things it's a it's a very uh very narrow niche but we have five clinics now that are doing that and Uh, And they're doing very, very well. So, And at this point, they're all passive for me too. So I've stepped out of the day-to-day operations. I have a good person in there, a CEO that's managing um, those clinics on a day-to-day basis. And I'm just the president. I'm still the general of of that business as well as my other businesses where – I still see financial reports every Monday morning on all my businesses, and I also um, once a month have a corporate meeting with them to kind of stay on top of things and be that that vision visionary person from the top. You know, kind of kind of be in the Warren Buffett style, but not as not as big as Warren Buffett, if you will. Hey
0: man, you you put, pat yourself on the back. You sound like you've uh, achieved and created some incredible little businesses and some cash flowing opportunities that. You know, well done. So um, let's talk a little bit about your 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 practices and and the the expansion of those practices. Because the number one thing that comes to my mind, you know, I'm an engineer. I'm like go straight to the to the nuts and bolts. Is do you have to be a doctor to own? A medical
1: practice. Sure. So, um, as far as being a medical doctor, and in, in, it depends on the state that you're practicing in. So, right. there are some states that you do have to be a licensed professional um, or a licensed physician in that state to be able to own a practice. You know, uh, for example, North Carolina is one of those states. You know, South Carolina is not. Um, you still have to be a licensed professional, um, but you don't have to be a licensed in that particular profession. Um, And so like, and then there's, there's places like, you know, California, North Carolina, where you can only be licensed, you can only own a practice if you're licensed in that particular um, uh, profession. So it all just depends on that. So right now we have a little over 50, a little under 50 employees that work for us across those five clinics. And we were, I basically started the, the first chiropractic clinic. And then I decided to expand into the second one once we integrated the medicine into it. And then I decided to take out the chiropractic out of it because when I was looking at the numbers, it was the least profitable. And Mm. I knew that I could fill our practice with more qualified patients by reaching out to other chiropractors and have them refer in to the regenerative medicine because it's alternative medicine still. And so with with you having chiropractic in the office, I was finding that that a lot of chiropractors didn't want to refer because... As chiropractors, it's totally different than medicine. So in medicine, mm-hmm. you know, medical doctors and stuff will refer back and forth to each other all the time. You know, you see that. But in chiropractic, we're afraid that the other guy's going to steal our patients. So it doesn't happen. <laughs> and so I had to like play on that. And so I cut it out of our practice completely, which was a big step. I mean, it was a very hard, you know, tough decision, if you will, to really take mm-hmm. that out of the clinic. And so we took that out of the clinic and it really was a good decision. So it allowed us to be able to, you know, expand our referral network.
0: It's an incredible thing because, I, and you would know more than I do, but I, from an outsider's point of view, I feel like the chiropractic world went through a bit of a bad name at, at some period of time. Maybe it was in the '90s or the early 2000s, and and now I, I know my wife; she she subscribes. There's like all these chiropractic services where you can sort of these drop-in clinics. You just go in, you're there for no more than ten, fifteen minutes, and boom, boom, boom. They realign you out. You go, and you can you can rock up to the other one that's you know on the other side of Los Angeles. How has it evolved over your time that you've seen the chiropractic world and and now that you're not really in it anymore, but what's your sort of take on that, um, given it's change and morphing and all that sort of stuff? Yeah,
1: I would say that the biggest thing that chiropractic is doing right now and over the last probably 10 or 15 years is really niching down. You know, Mm -hmm. you see a lot more people who are focused on pediatrics or you see people on pregnancy care or you see right. people who are you know our clinics were really specific to what's called uh, the NDS method which we focused on you know people who had really serious disc problems bulging herniated degenerative discs those kind of things some serious right. back problems and so we, we did some specialty treatments for those but then you have people that will focus on you know other specific niches like neuropathy or you shall have having doing a lot more functional medicine for diabetes care and you know mm-hmm. fibromyalgia and those kind of things so the really what's what's really been changing is is, is the the dynamic of niching down within chiropractic
0: oh, that's that's very very interesting in, in such a such an incredible thing because we're all our spines are so important right like they they are the most important things i i personally have scoliosis of the spine just, just born with it and my my wife has bulged discs and it just it's, an, you know, I'm a, I'm a tall guy. I've got to remember to stand up straight and sometimes getting in for a bit of a real just makes you feel a little bit better and crack your neck and off you go. So, absolutely, absolutely. But mate, mate, you've achieved so much in, the, in your career and you're such a, I think the what I'm getting from you is that you're just, you're open to so many opportunities and not pigeonholing yourself. We haven't even talked about real estate. <laughs> so and we're going to get into that in, the, in a little bit here. But I think that is such an incredible thing that I've, I'm learning from you is just that the ability to see an opportunity, take it, Go and learn the opportunity and then go and you know put it into practice and, and, and create a business out of it. I think that's just incredible. So without further ado, let's get into the real estate and what makes you love real estate and, and business ownership. I know we spoke a little bit, again, in the green room about your the tax incentives, right? Mm-hmm. So do you want to walk a me through or the listeners through just exactly why you love those tax
1: advantages. Sure, sure. So, you know, I I wish I would have gotten into it, you know, a couple of years ago, because I've always heard that you have tax advantages and tax strategies and stuff like that with real estate. But I never really realized to the extent that you could actually be benefited from it. So I've been sick and tired of writing six-figure checks to the government so you know yes you know I think we should pay our fair share if you will and all that kind of stuff but there are strategies in place for those who want to take advantage of them so I think if you want to take advantage of them and they're there you should you know and I think that the, we, the reason why they're there is because they don't want you to just take that money that you've earned and just stick it in a bank account and just let it sit there you know they want you to invest it in the economy and that's what, you know, high net worth individuals do is they take their money and they invest it into the economy. And one of the ways that you can invest into the economy is by putting that money into real estate. And so, you know, putting it, you could put it into single family homes, you can put it into those kind of things. But the, the, one of the things that I like the most, and I know you like as well, is, is, um, is multi-family, um uh 100 plus unit apartments complexes. Because, you know, yes, it's, it's kind of a daunting task to kind of sit there and think about, Oh my goodness, I gotta go buy a large, you know, you know, fifteen million dollar property to make this thing worth it. But when you can start to consider the syndication side of things where multiple investors can go in on one deal and then you can bring in because once you get over that, you really that probably two to three million dollar range that's when you start to have the economies of scale come into place when it when you start to talk about doing cost segregation analysis where you can now instead of just having a single family residence that you have to depreciate over 27 and a half years now you can afford to bring a company in a structural engineer company come in and do a full analysis and that costs money. I mean, that can cost you know ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars to have them come in there, depending on the size of the property, to tell you how much you can you can cost segregate that. And for your listeners that aren't familiar with cost segregation, that's basically taking down and ana- analyzing the entire property all the way down to the to the to the to the screws and the sheetrock and the flooring, the subfloor, the studs. I mean, you can go all the way down to everything. And of course, all, obviously, the internal contents, meaning that you know, the refrigerators and the counters and the sinks and the knobs and all that kind of stuff. But it's really cool because I didn't realize that you could actually do that. Is because my mind was so small and thinking, oh, single family, that kind of stuff. Um, but when you can start to get to that, you know, five, 10, $15 million properties, you can pay, now afford to pay someone to come in because it's pennies on the dollar, for what they can save you tax wise. And now instead of just having to depreciate that property, over a 27 and a half year period of time, you can now cost segregate that down and some of them down to five years and some of them down to 15 years. And then, you know, of course, the additional tax strategies that just happened recently is, is you know, Trump just enacted uh, recently the, um, the $1 million bonus depreciation on top of all of that. Right. So in that first year, and so there's a lot of additional tax strategies and advantages that I really, really like about um, real estate. And, and it's the real estate specifically that I like is, is the, the multifamily syndication. And that's what Hanford Capital does is just focuses on trying to raise capital for other syndicators, but also finding and, and, and locating our own deals and, and taking them down as well.
0: You know, it's it's an incredible strategy, right? Like say, as you said, you know, we're all citizens of the country and need to make sure you pay your fair share, but you can minimize your tax exposure, right? And And that is what, you know, investing in hard assets is all about, right? Accelerated depreciation um, with new tax laws that come in, you can accelerate that even more. But give me your maybe you know, armchair guide to the difference between the tax strategies involved in real estate versus the tax strategies involved in, say, your businesses, your online businesses, like your chiropractic. Like, have you seen a major difference in what you can and can't write off in in, in the two different scenarios? One's a hard asset, one's sort of more of just an operating business.
1: Sure. Well, I mean, you always in any type of business, you know, whether you're in real estate or you're in chiropractic or medical or, you know, you're selling, you know, shoes down the street in a shoe store. It doesn't really matter really kind of what business it is. There are obviously certain things that you can write off, you know, that are, are costs or expenses for that business. And none of those change. So even those same expenses in my real estate business, I can still write some of those things off. If I have to, you know, go buy office supplies, I can write all that stuff off. Um, the, the biggest downside is, is that any type of equipment or computers or, or anything like that, that I buy in my practices, I can, I have to basically, those are costs, you're not really cost segregating it, but you're basically still having to to depreciate that. Like you can't just spend $20,000 on some computers and just take that as an entire write-off. Right. You have to spend that $20,000 and then you have to like put it on a depreciation schedule. And, you know, my accountant handles all that stuff. So I don't know all the numbers of ours, how how long it takes to depreciate that, but it takes a lot longer to depreciate that stuff. And, uh, and so there's, there's definitely some, so the biggest thing is, is that you can take some pretty large depreciation on these larger, asset, os, la, larger assets where you wouldn't be able to otherwise, you know, because right. now you're able to cash flow on these properties and then show a loss. I've never had a business where I've been able to cash flow it and then show a loss because my income is always higher than what my depreciation values are, and which, is, which is what all businesses should do, right? You know, you want to be able to be profitable. <laughs> but right. even now with this real estate, you know, with Hanford Capital is that you can now cash flow off of a property, but then show a loss on that income at the end of the year to offset some of your other or other passive income. And so it's, it's one of those things where um, you can now start to have your money working for you. And of course, you know, we talked about you know paying your fair share. Well, guess what happens when, when instead of me taking my $100,000 and sticking it in my pocket that does versus actually taking $100,000 and then putting it in an investment like this, now we're able to take down larger properties. And guess what we do? We find value-add properties. And so we're putting people to work to value add. You know, when we start to renovate a unit, we're putting people to get putting people to work. We're paying even more taxes on sales tax for the local economy because we're buying supplies, we're buying sheetrock, we're buying flooring, we're buying countertops, we're buying new appliances. So all of that stimulates the economy even more and I haven't actually sat down to figure out what those numbers are, but I would venture to guess that my money being put into the economy in that local market does more for taxes, if you will, than just me paying my, you know, 40% in taxes on that to the government. And that's why they put those incentives in place is because they want you to take that money and they want you to spend it in that local economy so that it stimulates that economy. And again, it it creates more taxable income for them at the, at the same time. You know, everybody always gets upset when they hear of a high net worth individual that pays zero taxes, you know, like Trump, you know, but can, can you imagine, how many jobs he's put into place and how many taxes that have been paid due to the money that he has put into other assets. And that's kind of the same thing here. We're taking the, these investors' money and we're putting them into these large assets and allowing to stimulate that economy at the same time, as well as giving them the benefit of the tax write-offs.
0: No, and someone was explaining to me, you're completely correct. Someone was explaining to me in, in a way that you look at it. So the government, you know, pretty much across the world in most developed countries, are not in the business of owning real estate. And so they've created tax codes in order for you, and this is the same as Australia and Europe and United Kingdom and Canada, that you can write off certain things because you're providing housing to the the, the people, the, the the masses, and so there's a benefit. And someone had always said, if you look at the tax code, not as if as a hindrance, but a way in which you can get your money back. <laughs> it's the different ways. It's essentially it's a step by step guide of how you get it back. And it was just such a different way of looking at it and not not thinking it as a hindrance, but as a, okay, well, I'm going to go and you know buy a 250 unit property, and I'm going to you know, provide housing to 250 families, right? And as you just said, putting on all this people to work, you've got your on-site property manager, you got your, your construction team, you're buying the supplies from local home, home hardware store. It has a, a bit of an economy of, of growth uh, a, across the, uh, just from, from buying that one uh, particular asset. whether it be, Yeah, you know, and, and, and I don't know about
1: you, you, but unit. I mean, I, I really get, you know, a lot of, you know, joy when I go into a property and I can actually make that community, feel, not feel, but I can make that community better, you know, right. you know, go into that community and saying, you know, we, as an, as, as, you know, as syndicators, you know, we can go into a property and go, Oh, I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to add this. I want to add that. But until you actually sit down with the people who live in that community and say, Hey, what do you want? These are our ideas. Which one do you think is going to be best? And then you can start to put those in place. And then you start to see that community just really coming together in that, just to that local, like really it's a, a microcosm of a community because it's just that, you know, four or 500 residents in that one community of those apartment complexes. And you can now start to change that community, make the units look better. Obviously you're going to command some more rent for it, but you know, you're going to make their life better inside of that community. And it just helps everybody all along. And I, I like being able to do that to go to kind of see the before and after stuff, you know?
0: No, that's And it, it, it's great to see the before and after, right? You get, you get your videos, your drone shots, and you're coming in. We were actually about to do one on one of our properties, just finish the exterior renovation and the leasing office. And, you know, just to see the the transition, you know, just like painting brick, it just gives it such a pop, right? And everyone's like, oh, what's this new property? You change yep. the name of the property. Oh, what's this? And it's like it's a, It feels like a hotel, but it's not really a hotel. It's just a, <laughs> it's just a 1980s <laughs> asset. Mate, but tell me a little bit more about your other work that you're doing in the community, I mentioned in the beginning, you're investing as an angel investor into some startups and incubators. What are they focused around and, and what are they doing to help uh, the local community and entrepreneurs?
1: Sure. So, you know, in South Carolina and, you know, across North Carolina as well, there are there are angel investing associations or groups where, you know, you can actually go, go to them instead of you having to do all of the legwork of, you know, vetting the startups and things like that. The various startups can now submit their um their proposals to this this group and then they go in and actually vet everybody and then they make the decision to to invest and we're able to go alongside that. We had to pay a fee, you know, to be part of that angel investing sure. group for that, that convenience. But for me, it's, be, it's been really nice because you can go and pay that fee, have them do all the, all the due diligence in the background and vetting 100 startups to be able to invest in 10 of them that you think is gonna really do real well and really be able to say kind of, again, stimulate the economy. And most of the startups are in the FinTech space. Uh-huh. So it's uh, because I'm, I'm so close to Charlotte, that's usually where I go to, um, you know, try to invest because there's a, it's the, now it's actually number three, um, the number, the, the third largest financial you know city in the country. And of course, New York is number one. And I think, I think it might be San Francisco.
0: Yeah, maybe Chicago, maybe? I don't know. No, it's
1: not Chicago. So I know it's not Chicago. It's, one, it's somewhere in California. I think it's actually San Francisco or something like that. Um, okay. and then uh, Charlotte. Charlotte used to be number two until I think San Francisco just outbeat it about a year or two ago. <laughs> um, but it's a, big, it's a big financial district there, a lot of tech jobs, a lot of millennials going into, into Charlotte, which is one of the reasons why I like that for the apartment community because as the millennials come in, that's the class of uh, people we usually see in some of these B.C. class properties.
0: It's absolutely fantastic. And so are you seeing a major growth and diversification in uh, in places like Charlotte into the fintech space in order to diversify the economy?
1: Well, I mean, there's a lot of incubator programs and accelerator programs within Charlotte that really cater to the fintech space. And so for those of you who aren't familiar with that, it's financial technology. So there's a lot of, you know, uh, you know because it's a financial you know, district area, there's a lot of money in there backing it from a lot of the major players, you know, like Bank of America, those kind of things, Wells Fargo. And so they also um, have, uh, there's a program. So we have a, a, real, a monthly real estate meetup in Charlotte that we do the first Monday of every month. And we do it in a space called the Packard Place. And mm-hmm. the Packard Place is a shared co-working space and, but they're, one of their floors, the entire floor is basically dedicated to fintech startups and they basically give them that space to be able to use, to be able to, you know, create the continuity to, to continue to stimulate the economy. And of course that same place at the Packard place, they do, you know, the pitch pre- breakfast program where they go in and there's 80 to 90 people there and there's kind of like a shark tank style where they yep. go in and get pitched and stuff like that. So I like being involved and being part of that. Um, my goal isn't to, you know, be a part of that, to make a ton of money. It's, it's really for me to, you know, be able to continue to give money to participate in those types of activities. And if one of them does really well, it takes off great, you know, but, um, it, I'm not going into it because most of the, te- most of those, pro- those technology companies are not going to make it, but right. it's, you have to give them that environment and you have to allow them to be able to have that space and the environment to be able to see if that particular product or program is going to do really well. Um, so it just and then there's a lot of you know fintech spaces that you'll never hear of and you never mm-hmm. will hear of, but they make a lot of money. But mm-hmm. they're, just, they're just in the back end of a lot of different you know things that you just you just never hear them as far as prime time or anything.
0: Sure, sure. Well, it sounds incredibly intriguing and sounds like you got a, a lot of fingers in different pies, so to speak. Because it's just you know you, you're building this ecosystem of businesses to help support your family. Um, but what's sort of what, what what's the 2018 and beyond got in, in store for you personally and professionally?
1: Sure. So two things primarily right now. You know, one of the things my wife and I are doing is we have our podcast, like you mentioned very early on um, in the interview about it's called Tough Decisions for Entrepreneurs. Um, anybody who's listening, you want to reach out to us. It's at toughdecisions.net. You can find some more information about us there on our website. But that's one of our main focuses is to, you know, help other entrepreneurs teach them how to do things. You know, we were also speaking at various events. We just did one in Atlanta recently, and we spoke on a topic that we are very passionate about called relentless implementation, where we teach the, how to get into the mindset of relentless implementation so that instead of just thinking about doing something all the time you can actually take that desire move it into an ambition and then continue to get into that relentless mindset and so that's one of the things my wife and I are, are, are looking forward to doing uh, more of you know our goal is to continue to speak on, on various stages obviously we have four little ones so we have uh uh, a seven-year-old, a six-year-old, and we also have a two-year-old and a six-month-old. So we do have four little ones, and I do mean little. And so we do keep pretty busy with that. But uh, we've been we've been able to balance things very well, and we work really well together. Matter of fact, she's actually in the room right over here next to me. I'm looking at her through my in my office. I have um, little glass windows here, and she's in a meeting right now with one of our corporate team. Um, but uh, you know she. Um, is very, very good at what she does. And she's good about balancing her life as well as the the, the family. And, you know, I do, the, I do the same thing. You know, we try to keep that, that nice balance. And we, I try to take the kids and, and bring them wherever I am. And then, of course, the, the second thing we're doing is Hanford Capital. You know, you can visit us at HanfordCapital.com and, and find out more information about us. Um, We're always looking for investors. We're always looking for co-syndicators to come on our, you know, help partner with some of the deals that we're finding and, and and be able to do some capital raising and various things like that. Um, And back to the tough decisions thing, we, we have a a weekly entrepreneur email that we send out um, that that includes like various technologies that can be used in business. Um, Obviously, we have some summaries of our podcast that we do on there. We also have inspiring entrepreneur quotes on there, and some of the best books we recommend—some of our best books that are recommended on there. So it's a good email to jump on, you know, for your listeners if they are into this entrepreneur mindset, they want to become a business owner, or they are a business owner. It'd be very good for them to really continue to to get that that email list, so they can go to toughdecisions.net and sign up for that weekly entrepreneur email as well.
0: Nice, nice. Well, mate, I really enjoyed today's uh, interview with you, but are you ready to jump in to give me your top five investing tips? Sure. Mate, what is the number one habit that you practice to keep on track towards your goals?
1: I would say my number one goal, my number one thing or habit that I do on a regular basis is everybody always talks about having a mastermind. And so Mm -hmm. I, on a regular basis, at least three to four times a year I am in a mastermind with somebody else that will help me keep on track and then I also have what I call a mini mastermind every morning with my wife so every morning we get up we get up and we have our coffee together on our back porch overlooking our pool our dog actually crawls up next to the pool and just she puts her paws on the, on the edge of the pool and just watches the pool and the waterfall coming off the hot tub and stuff. And, you know, we're sitting there just talking about what are we going to do for that day and, you know, talking through different things we need to talk through and just kind of setting the, t- the tone and setting the stage for, you know, what do we need to accomplish for that day? And I would say for those of you who, you know, have a spouse that you can do that with, try to get in a routine of doing that, you know, to kind of have that open communication. And if for some reason you don't have a spouse, or you don't want to do that, then find a business partner or a friend or somebody that you can do that with on a regular basis, because it'll definitely help you stay on track.
0: Love it. No, I love those morning rituals and morning hugs to get the, the day going right and to get the to kick it off on the right Absolutely. leg. So awesome stuff. Mate, who's been the most influential person in your career to date?
1: Wow, there, there are so many people that have been influential. I would probably pick out two people, um, one, one more recently, but one in the past that, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting because it's actually my wife's uncle, um, Dr. Lee Popwell. He's a chiropractor in Greenville, South Carolina. It's where I met my wife. And she uh, and, and when I was I, I worked for him for four years before I went and did my my doctorate degree. And he really helped me kind of put myself in the mindset of what I needed to do and how to get how to accomplish things on a high level. And it's interesting because, you know, he just sent me a, a message the other day, you know, saying, you know, asking me for some advice, too. So now he, he he's been my mentor for a while. And now I'm kind of turning the tables a little bit and helping him in a couple of different areas because I've now taken myself a little bit farther um, than he has and what he has done. And so the second person I would say recently is, you know, love him or hate him, Grant Cardone. And, you know, he, everybody usually either loves him or hate him. I'm usually kind of in the middle. You know, I, I think he's hilarious in a lot of things that he does. Um, but as far as mindset and thinking big, that's really what I like. And, you know, that's, that's one of the, the, the books, one of his the, the books that I like the most is The 10X Rule. I recommend that to just about anybody because it will help put yourself in a mindset of abundance and setting your goals really high. So you put yourself in the mindset of, of reaching a larger goal instead of just trying to find these little tiny, small goals to accomplish.
0: hundred percent. No, I completely agree. I think, uh, I think it's the the importance of having early mentors in your career, like you talked about, um, your, your your wife's uncle, uh, is really important. Helping you set the track, and you know, well done that you've gone out and created yourself as a key person of influence in a space that now he looks to you. As that person to say, hey, I need to go get some advice on. Him. And obviously, everyone knows Grant Cardone. He's he is all over yep. Instagram and, and and Facebook and social media. You can't you can't escape him. But incredible guy, uh, an incredible journey, mate. I know because you're in the fintech space and you're investing in some stuff. You'd have an influential tool in your business now. W- give me what is the most influential tool, and it doesn't have to necessarily be software. It could also be a hard hardware if you have anything.
1: Oh, uh, influential tool. I would say for me, the biggest thing that I've done that has helped me is Calendly. And I know that might sound kind of crazy, but, you know, Calendly has, you know, I, cause I'm, I am very busy, but I also want to protect my time with my family. And so mm-hmm. I have a lot of people that will reach out to me and they want to jump on a call and they want to talk or whatever. And I very rarely just answer my phone from somebody that I don't know. And so now that I have Calendly, you know, I can send him a a link and say, Hey, yeah, I'd love to jump on a call with you. Here's my calendar. And I have basically three hours on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday that I've blocked off on various parts of the day. And those are my times. And it's worked out very well. And obviously if somebody can't meet me on those times, you know, I can, I can meet outside of it, but it's really been nice to be able to do that because it takes a lot of the back and forth of, of trying to schedule somebody on your calendar and various things like that. And now, as far as the real estate stuff is concerned, one that's really helped me is, is contactually. And I don't know if you've ever heard of that before, but if you go to com, you know, they, are, they're, they're built for the real estate space where you can have, you can make sure that you're following up on your leads, but not necessarily leads, but lenders and brokers and owners and, you know, other co-syndicators. And you know, we also use it for our podcast to follow up on podcast, you know, that we have on as guests, as well as making sure we do certain things with them. And you can, each bucket that you put them in, you can, they, they call them buckets, but every bucket that you put them in, you could put a, a different touch time. Like you want to make sure that you touch your, 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 your lenders once a month or your brokers every two weeks, it'll, it'll, it'll connect to your email. And so if you send out an email to a broker, it'll reset that clock. But if you haven't touched that broker in two weeks, it'll alert you and say, Hey, you need to go contact this guy. You haven't talked to him in two weeks. Mm -hmm. It kind of keeps you on task to make sure that you're constantly, you know, poking your network and continue to keep your network close to you.
0: Yeah, that's great. Contactually.com. I'll have to check that out. All right, mate. Uh, second last question. The, the biggest failure you had in your career and what did you learn from that failure?
1: The biggest failure... I would say my biggest failure would be getting into business with somebody that I uh, didn't fully know. Um, and it, but, I, I, but I got into business with him because at first he was my friend. And so sometimes we get to be friends with people, and because we're friends with them, we think they might be good partners. And sometimes it's best just to keep your friends friends and uh, your partner's partners and you know right now I don't have any business that I am partners with meaning that I have a you know you know I own all my companies 100% I started them all from scratch and I own all of them and so would I consider bringing somebody on if they had some sort of value yes but it would have to be a very good fit um, I actually on our podcast just recently did a Saturday episode, which is called our step up your, your game with Dan episode where I talked about partnerships and I go through this story and that, and on that episode, um, and it talks about the, the, the do's and the don'ts about who you should and should not get in business with. And even if you do have a partner, What are some things that you should do in play ahead of time? Because you want to make sure you have, you know, certain things written down and in place before you get into bed with somebody with with this kind of a business. Because you really are. It's like a marriage, you know, Um, when you get into a partner partnership. And that's one of the biggest things I would say on our podcast is when we talk about tough decisions is people will talk about the tough decision of having to dissolve a partnership because they didn't know that person going in or didn't really know how well they'd work. And so having that, right. that separation of duties and various things like that. But in that particular instance, you know, that partner, you know, started to get into drugs and various things like that. And so we had to, you know, part ways because he was spending the profits on drugs and, you know, it really wasn't going too well. So um, and of course, I thought I knew him and we were really good friends for, for a couple of years and it just didn't really work out. So that would be my biggest failure. And I, I, I guess what I've learned from that is, is don't do partnerships, which is why I don't have partnerships. But I know that's not always a reasonable answer as far as like everybody not doing partnerships. There's always reasons to get other partners in. And even with Hanford Capital, you know, we're, we partner with other people, but we're not like partners in a business, if you will. You know, we just, sure. we're, just we're just a partner in the fact that we, we help raise money or help find deals or various things like that.
0: But it's all important, right? Because even at that low, the lower level of partnership with just getting involved in the syndication, you need to understand who you're getting into bed with, regardless of whether it's a, an actual commitment or just sort of a soft commitment to say, hey, we're going to raise capital on this one particular deal and I'm going to go do something else after that. But um, no, incredible stuff. Uh, one last time, where can people reach you to continue the conversation?
1: Sure. So you can reach us on our um, podcast website, which is toughdecisions.net. And again, you can go there and sign up for our free weekly entrepreneur email. If you'd like, you can uh, shoot me an email as well at dan, just D-A-N, at HanfordCapital.com. Just don't include those in the show notes because of spam. But I always, on my podcast, I always say, go listen to the episode if you want the guy's email or something. But right,
0: uh, right, right, right.
1: you can also visit us at HanfordCapital.com. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook, uh, obviously Instagram, Twitter, You know any of the social media platforms we're on. Uh, but we would be glad to, you know, take any phone calls that you got, that your listeners might have about real estate or business or, you know, family or, or working with your spouse or whatever. We we do, I do a lot of, you know, talks and, you know. Con- consulting with that you know right now i'm not charging for it so you know I'm not, my goal isn't to sit there and try to create a big coaching business and try to help people with with various things but you're really just trying to to use that as an outlet to to be able to you know give in the different areas that i've learned but you know that, those would be the two biggest ways is just going to toughdecisions.net or the com.
0: Well mate, thank you so much for dropping in today. I just want to quickly summarize some of the things that I've taken away from this awesome conversation. And it really is the ability, as I said earlier in the piece, to, you know, identify an opportunity and then go out and then try and, you know, respond to that market. Like you did when you first were at Life University. You you responded to the spinal. Uh, models and molds and you went out and found out how you can buy it cheaper and, and you, you had a market there. And I think you you said earlier that you you had created ideas in the past but didn't necessarily have the market because it wasn't a need for people. So I think that was a really big takeaway. Uh, and uh, just identifying the different little ecosystems you can have in your business in order to, for it to complement one another. And it's not about having one specific business, but it's about having an ecosystem of little businesses that can come together and create a bigger, better thing, right? Um, and, and, the, and the final thing was obviously you know working with your spouse and, and having an incredible uh, journey and story about your podcast and stuff like that. Uh, did I leave anything out?
1: No, I think that was great. I mean, I think the biggest thing is is you know a lot of people get caught up in the the desire phase of you know the desire of wanting to go do something but they fail to act on that desire which brings that desire from a just a, a desire to an ambition which is a strong mm-hmm. desire and once you get to that strong desire and you can la- line up that strong desire with your why and your purpose in life, the relentless implementation side of those things it will will, will go hand in hand. And when you go and you Work, if you will, it won't feel like work because I don't ever feel like what I'm doing is work. I mean, do I have bad days? Yeah, sure. We all have bad days. We all have days we, you know, we don't, we didn't, we did like doing something or whatever. But I usually come home and I'm like, yeah, I had, I had a, you know, even if it was a bad day, I, I had a bad day or I had a good day or whatever it was. But guess what? I can't wait to get back there tomorrow. I just had so much fun. You know what I mean? Right. I, I just right. enjoy right. what I do.
0: Well, my Thank you so much for dropping by. Enjoy the rest of your week and we'll catch up soon.
1: All right. Sounds good. Thank you.
0: Well, there you have it, another cracking episode jam-packed with some incredible investing advice and actionable steps. Make sure you check out all the show notes up on my website at com, and check make sure you reach out to Dan and his wife at the podcastcom uh, I want to make sure to thank you to, to, for taking some time out of your day to tune in to continue to grow your financial IQ because that's what we're all about on this show. And we're going to do this all again next week. So take care, be safe, and remember, happy investing.